are now tuned into the Lunch Break Podcast, where true sales pros go to tell their stories. What's going on, everybody? James Bodden here, and you are tuned in to Season 3 of the Lunch Break Podcast, here with Episode 52 my guest is Ryan Zadrazil. Ryan is an SDR at Directive, and Ryan and I connected on LinkedIn. He's a content creator, so that puts him in the 1% of people that are actually creating content, sharing their thoughts on LinkedIn. And Ryan, the reason that I love his content is that it's based on his journey, the things that he's doing day in, day out. This is the exact type of of guest that I had in mind when I started this podcast, somebody like Ryan, who's out there doing the work every day, making it happen. And in case you don't have time to listen to the entire episode right now, Ryan served up a snack break sales tip for us that you can listen into right now. Check it out. All right. So my sales tip is fall in love with the process, not the numbers. Because if you do the process well, the numbers will take care of themselves. We become so fixated on the end results sometime, like hitting our metrics, that we forget to just enjoy the conversations and personalize that experience for each potential client or customer. A great sales tip from Ryan Zadrazil. And without any further ado, here is episode number 52 of the Lunch Break podcast with Ryan Zadrazil. Check it out and let me know what you think. Okay, folks, this is episode number 52 of the Lunch Break podcast. James Bodden here with you, and I've got my esteemed guest, Ryan Zadrazil, here with me. He's an SDR at Directive, and Ryan is somebody who's, who's active on LinkedIn. He's showing folks through his interactions and his content that, that he's a true sales professional. And I'm very honored to, to have you on the show for episode number 52, Ryan. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Fantastic. So before I hit record, I, I was telling you, I know that uh, you've listened to the show before, so you know how this thing's going to go down. Uh, so let's just go ahead and get this thing started. Uh, Ryan, how did you get started in sales? So I actually got started in sales um, through a summer job while I was going to get my associate's degree. Excuse me. Um, It was at a store called Elements Board Shop. And it was really cool. Like it was cool working at a skateboarding store and being a skateboarder. And I really learned how to communicate with people and really get those interpersonal skills. So I did that for a while, did a couple Black Fridays. It's a lot of fun. I'm sure you know all about that. Oh, yeah. The Black Friday life in uh, retail sales is, is um, unique. We'll leave it at that. It's unique. I had to do it <laughs> in crutches one day. That was fun. Oh, man. On your feet, on crutches. So after I did that, I went to get my bachelor's degree. And during that time, my uncle owned a vineyard. Mm. So I ended up doing outside sales while going to school. And I quickly realized that I didn't like the manual labor portion of the job. I like talking to people and kind of managing accounts and bringing on new ones, but I did not like lifting the boxes 
and putting them on the shelves. So that kind of led me to inside sales. Um, first inside sales job was with kind of a smile and dial corporation. It's called West Corporation and I was selling for FedEx and I got a lot of good experience there kind of throughout the whole site, full cycle of the sales process. After that, I went to Ledgeview Partners where I was selling for um, Chevron's lubrication division. And that was tough because either they were picking up the phone all the time because you were calling on like Meineke or some other uh, mom and pop shop that does oil changes. Um, and then it became calling on larger industrial accounts and you really had to battle through getting emails to them and just getting them on the phone was a challenge. Um, and now I'm at Directive. So enterprise sales, pretty much the same thing as I was doing before with uh, setting up appointments for the uh, outside sales reps. In this case, it's setting it up for the account executive. So not a whole lot's changed. It's just learning some new components. Yeah, I love that perspective, right? Because, you know, as sales professionals in today's world, it's silly to think that we'll have one job or, 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 or not have multiple experiences kind of throughout our journey. And it's interesting when I speak to people because some people see it and they, they kind of feel a little bit negative about it. Like, yeah, I mean, I've done that. I've done a lot of different things, but that, that uh, concerns me because I'm not really good at one thing. But I think the approach that you take of, of okay, well, I'm gonna take bits and pieces of each job that I've had and really think about like, what do I like about this job? What I don't like about this job? And, and what does my next role need to look like so that I'm, I'm you know, continuing to move forward, right? I mean, I, if I think about um, my own career, there were, probably two or three years where I needed to kind of have that realization moment that you had in outside sales where it's like, mm, not really feeling the manual labor part of it. Let me go look for something else. Right. I mean, because that's important, right? You're along your journey of tasting things and trying new things. Uh, it's just incredibly important to be self-aware. So I think that's, you know, a really important piece to kind of pull out from, from your, your journey. It's like each each step you were like, okay, this was cool for this reasons, <laughs> but, but, you know, there, there's some things that I don't want to do in my next job. Um, you know, bringing it back to your first job at the skateboard shop, you know, I think uh, what a great introduction into sales because it, it, it was, you were working at a place, uh, like you said, working at a skateboard shop as a skateboarder, that kind of makes things easier, right? You, you, can kind of naturally have better conversations because it's something that you're, you're interested in. Um, <laughs> I, I, and then I look at that and then I look at selling, um, you know, uh, to places like Meineke, right? Like selling some kind of obscure solution um, that's not something that you're probably passionate about, right? Like you were in your first retail sales job. Yeah. So how did you manage that? Right. I mean, you, you had had the experience of, kind of selling and having sales conversations in an environment where you uh, enjoyed the subject matter and, and probably knew a lot about it just inherently because you were interested in it. Um, how did you manage the, that different role where you didn't have that same level of knowledge and passion about the industry? So some of it came from the role, like getting coaching and things like that, but a lot of it came from LinkedIn. You know, mm -hmm. that was kind of my fuel. 
if I didn't know how to do something or if I thought I could share some insights, it all boiled down to how I could do it on LinkedIn or continue mm. my learning process. Yeah, that's an interesting point, right? Because I think a lot of salespeople maybe look at, at uh, LinkedIn as a place to build their brand, find prospects, do some social selling. But I don't, I don't really hear a whole lot of people looking at LinkedIn as a, as a learning resource, uh, when in reality, it's probably one of the best ones out there, right? And, and to take that approach of, hey, if I can boil this down and, and get some insight from you know, folks that, that maybe have been there, done that kind of thing, uh, that's going to shorten your time, right? The time that it's going to take you to kind of feel a little bit more comfortable. Um, so bringing up LinkedIn, I've obviously, I mean, this, the, the entire reason that we're speaking is because of our kind of mutual activity on LinkedIn. Uh, at what point did you identify and then decide, hey, like LinkedIn's a place where not only can I learn, I'm going to take the step and start posting and start making videos and, and commenting, thoughtfully commenting. Um, you know, at what point did you decide to kind of go down that road? December 28th of 2018. You know uh, the exact date. I'm, I'm almost positive that's the exact date because it came up recently. Um, I posted my first video and uh, another person on LinkedIn, he's more in the marketing side of things, but which is interesting because I'm at a marketing agency now. Yeah, um, hey. Peter Bruin, he kind of pushed me to post something. So I did, and I kept doing it. And then eventually I started realizing uh, people weren't watching the videos anymore. I don't know if you caught that too. I felt that pain. Yeah, so then I went to full text posts, and that's been a lot easier to manage around work. Um, yes. coming up with ideas and just providing value and having a meaningful discussion in the comments section. Yeah, you know, I think you, you bring up a really interesting point when, when it comes to creating content on LinkedIn. We're not, you know, full-time content creators, right? Like we have real jobs. We have duties and responsibilities that exist within eight to five that, that we have to get done. And I think that's something that a lot of people struggle with and maybe a reason that a lot of people don't even start doing it, right? Oh, it's, it's going to pull me away from what I need to be doing at work. It's too much work. I'm not a video editor. I don't, I don't do any of that. Uh, well, you know, fortunately, it seems like the algorithms are favoring those text posts like you sensed and kind of caught on to. And I'm right there with you. I mean, for, for me, you know, I can take my 15 minute break after a couple of hours of work and hammer out a quick post that I've been kind of ruminating about, or maybe even taking some notes on my phone about, and then slap that thing onto LinkedIn. And, and you know, I can tick that box, right? Hey, great. I, I made my contribution to the community today. Um, whereas when I was making a lot of videos, it's like, okay, I got to be in the right spot. I got to have some decent type lighting. I have no clue what I'm doing <laughs> as far as making myself not look scary. Um, you know, all of those kind of elements that play into it. So for you, it sounds like, hey, uh, I realize that, that LinkedIn's important. I realize that having a presence on LinkedIn is important, but I'm not 
delusional enough to think that I need to be spending all of my time there, which yeah. uh, for sales leaders, I think is a growing concern, right? <laughs> like how much time are my sales reps spending browsing through LinkedIn and calling it social selling? Um, have you, have so when it comes to actually kind of managing all of that, do you schedule like posts or do, are you somebody who's like that minute or is it just kind of like, Hey, when I have a cool thought and I have a free 10 or 15 minutes to type something out, I'm going to do it. Or is it kind of laid out almost like a content calendar? I mean, I've talked to people that are planning posts on Sundays and writing all, you know, everything over the weekend and then posting it out through the, through the week. So I think given your, you know, it just seems like you're just so consistent. And if LinkedIn was a water cooler, you're kind of always there, either sharing your idea or, or commenting thoughtfully on, on ideas that are being talked about, you know, that consistency is so key. So how are you managing that? Is it something you're hyper aware of, or you're just kind of doing it as you please? So I do, I have lately put together posts over the weekend, but I find that I don't believe what I wrote anymore by the time it comes to posting it. And I either end up changing things or I stick with it. I actually had a whole kind of like metrics I tried to meet each day when I was searching for this job at Directive. So I would comment five meaningful comments on like specific uh, strategically placed posts and then five personalized connection requests with like VP of sales with startups and a little bit larger companies. And then one text post. And that really worked. It got me enough exposure. I reached out to the right people. Um, your first podcast guest, Seth, yeah. actually connected me with Hannah at a Directive. And that was how I ended up getting the job at Directive. So that's how powerful that network really is. Man, yeah. And, and it's so cool. That kind of almost gave me a little bit of chills to hear, you know, somebody, because that's not the first time that that's happened, right? That, that people that have come on the podcast kind of way separately have somehow connected with each other and benefited from, from that relationship is, is really what it's all about. Um, so, okay. So that brings up a very interesting point. Your, your job search, looking for a new role, how different was it? Now, you know, living in, hey, now I'm an active member on LinkedIn, I'm, I, I'm, I'm uh, creating content, commenting all those things. Com compare, you know, this job search and, and what you did to maybe the last time you were looking, right? Because I, I have had very similar experiences and, and um, I think it would illustrate kind of the power of LinkedIn, like you said. Yeah, very different. There was no Indeed. At the beginning, I searched jobs on LinkedIn, but I really found that it was better to just initiate conversations with people. Yeah. Through the messaging, I had like four interviews in one week, um, just reaching out to people and explaining that I, I want a remote SDR position. Is this something you're looking for right now? And it worked. Jeez. I mean, I think the thing that that speaks the most to me is is – when you are, when you're job searching and you're going through Indeed, and you're filling out resumes and you're doing the standard thing, I just feel like the you have no power, right? Because 
you, you have no power over the process. You have no ability to kind of uh, get somebody to look past what's on paper, which is something I've struggled with, right? When switching industries, things like that. It's like you're discounted before you even get a chance, right? And, and to kind of take that power back in kind of your job search and say, well, I don't have to do it this way. I don't have to kind of go the traditional route of filling out apps and waiting to hear back. I'm going to go out and do it this way. <laughs> and, and to get four interviews in a week for the type of role that you wanted, right? So I, I've identified, I want a remote SDR position. I'm going to go out and find that shit. I just think that is, <laughs> that is just so different, man. I mean, and, and I think about the times that I've had transitions in my career and, and how scary it is, right? And how nerve wracking and, and anxious you can get because you feel like, God, I'm just putting out apps into the ether of hire me land, right? I mean, it's just, there's just no telling what's going to happen. Um, and, and for you to leverage your network and call on somebody like Seth Weinstock, who's just, you know, an amazing guy who's, you know, probably done the same thing thousands of times for, for different salespeople over their career. I mean, there are, there are people out there that are wanting to help, right? And, and um, are willing to do it because they've seen the type of person that you are and they're willing to kind of put their neck on the line and say, hey, talk to this guy. He's, he's, he's you know, a great person to get in touch with. He's looking for a new role. I mean, that is so much better than a cover letter. <laughs> 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 you know, I mean, I think we're, 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 we're moving out of uh, the need for, especially salespeople, right? Because salespeople, hopefully, innately have the ability to connect with people and inherently know how to grab somebody's attention and start a conversation and, and essentially close the deal, aka, get yourself a job, <laughs> you know? So I just, I think that's a fantastic journey. And, and, um, you know, when I, when I saw that you joined directive, you know, I've had Sarah Drake on the podcast and, um, it made so much sense because, you know, Sarah's out there making content. Um, Kyle is another guy from directive that I've seen on LinkedIn, you know, putting out content. And so did that play a factor for you? Like being able to see, and know that you being active on LinkedIn and having a social media presence and brand wouldn't be an issue because you, you kind of saw other people doing it at that company. Is that something yeah. that crossed your mind? The company I was at before Directive Ledgeview, I was really concerned about what I put out there because I didn't want potential like prospects to see that and then make the connection. Oh, he's not working with Chevron Lubricants. He's working <laughs> with Ledgeview. Yeah, and that doesn't look good. Yeah. So. I found that the more I created content just specific to sales, I got more comfortable trying new things. Like now I'm doing a lot of personal branding posts mm -hmm. or marketing related posts. So it's nice to have a little bit more freedom, I think, versus just being locked in to one type of piece of content. Yeah. And to not, to not even have to really think or worry about it because that I kind of felt the same way when I, 
when I sold cell phones, I never worked for the corporate Verizon or the corporate AT&T. I always worked for like an authorized retailer, like a reseller, right? And I've thought about it. If, if, if I was building a personal brand on LinkedIn in that type of role, that would be tough, right? Because you're kind of like acting <laughs> like somebody, you know, it's kind of one of those weird things. And, and yeah, I mean, if I put myself in your shoes, it's like, okay, got to be a little bit careful about how how much exposure I get right because I don't want to get found out yeah so um and and for a company like directive and and more and more companies I'm seeing that are fostering this kind of culture around like hey like we want you to be active on LinkedIn I mean the truth of the matter is Ryan like I have never heard of directive before Sarah yeah right and now I mean, I know like what you guys do and I see you guys, uh, you know, around all the time. And that's only because of, of the content that, that their employees are putting out. Um, and if I'm a marketing executive at any company, I want that, that kind of reach as much as possible. Right. So it, it's, it's great that that's not something that you're having to necessarily worry about. And you brought up an interesting point. I think one thing that, that people that are creating content on LinkedIn struggle with, and I've struggled with this myself, is where do, wh where do I strike the balance of talking about sales-related things or giving some advice or you know, kind of jabbing like Gary talks about? Uh, and then when do I start making posts about my job? right? Like, when do I start trying to get some leads off of this thing, right? And I, in my previous roles, you know, I've worked at data analytics, consultant firms, and um, data science uh, consultants. And so for me, it was like, gosh, I'm, I struggle to really kind of seamlessly move from the things I normally talk about, which I'm just inherently passionate about, and the thoughts can kind of pour out, Whereas, you know, when I've turned my work hat on, it's kind of a little bit more of a struggle. It sounds like kind of given the way that you've worked on LinkedIn, it's, and what's interesting is you bring up, I've started posting more about marketing, personal branding, and I noticed that, but it didn't seem unnatural. Yeah. It didn't seem forced, right? Which I think is so huge. And you know, I was, I was talking to somebody today about social selling in general, right? And, and, and what the few times I've been sold to via social, it's, it's, it's kind of a wild thing because you end up, I, I've ended up at the end of a conversation and been like, oh shit, I'm about to buy something. <laughs> you know, like I'm about to sign up for this thing. And, and really, I feel like it's just been a conversation between a peer and I, somebody that I'm familiar with, somebody that I know is credible because I can see that they're active and participating on LinkedIn. So I have that kind of visibility and it has never felt forced and it's never felt like somebody was trying to social sell me when, they, when it's been done right. Now, 99% of the time, the social selling is so obvious and so bland that it just is zero percent effective right um and that i think that comes from me being able to sense that it's forced right so 
um, when it comes to kind of your strategy with continuing to leverage LinkedIn in ways that are advantageous to your career, whether that's finding a new job or, you know, generating interest in the business you work for, um, you know, how do you balance that? Is that something that you're, again, kind of consciously thinking about? Like for every two or three personal topic posts, I need to insert something about my job and the industry I work in, or is that just something that you're kind of taking as, as the ideas come? I would say a combination of both. I try my best to post on the weekdays about marketing and personal branding. And then I save the cold calling stuff for the weekends. Yeah. I love it. I love it. And that's one of the things I've loved about your content, cold calling, uh, you know, the focus around cold calling, uh, as somebody who's leveraged other channels, right? So you've leveraged channels like LinkedIn to help grow your business, gain leads, find a new job. Why do you continue to kind of think that the phone is important, right? And, and post about the phone and talk about cold calling. I think it's really important because if you can't have a conversation with someone on the phone and you can't sell to them, it's going to be hard to do just about any job because every job you're having conversations. So if you're unable to have that sales conversation, life in general is going to be very challenging because it's, it's, a, I would say the most important channel still. Yeah. Well, and what I've found, and you can tell me if you feel the same is it's really the best way to get information right? Because if I'm sending a bunch of emails, especially when I'm new in a role and I'm trying to maybe find, like get the lay of the land and figure out who is the right person to speak with, what types of things do I need to say to this type of buyer? Uh, it's very hard to gain information when you're just sending out one-way communications like emails or LinkedIn messages. For me, it's always been, I've learned the most from calling somebody delivering my message and then them saying, eh, you're way off here, right? You got to go talk to this person and you got to go, you know, that's not even something we're worried about. Um, all things that I never would have found out from a no response on an email, right? So um, as we kind of continue to move forward and technology continues to play a bigger and bigger part of how salespeople work, do you think we'll get to a point where people in our positions, sales development roles, responsible for kind of opening up sales processes, starting conversations, do you ever think there'll be a point where, you know, the bots and the chat bots and the AI will, will, will be able to match what we can do on the phone? So there's a really good book about this, actually. I don't know if you've read it or not. It's by Anita Nielsen. It's called no. Bots. Okay. And in the book, she basically breaks down how to stay ahead of the bots, how to differentiate yourself. Um, there's a really good line in it. Buyers could t continue to change the way they buy, so sellers need to change the way they sell. And mm. that really sticks out to me. Like the main line that I always remember when I think about that book. Oh, man, if that ain't the truth, right? And, and I think it speaks to 
you know, when I hear people say, I don't cold call, I, it's, it's kind of a, a worthless channel. To me, it's like, man, you're going to regret that in either six, 12, or maybe even 24 months, right? Because to me, there's the, the, the element of human connection is just irreplaceable, right? And that, and that ability to create a positive first impression, introduce somebody who's never heard of your company to what you guys do and how you might be able to help, right? And, and um, as sales development reps and sales development uh, professionals, I just feel like that's, that's something we all can, can kind of put our flag on and say, hey, as long as we have this skill, to your point, right, we're, we're valuable, right? Um, you, and, you know, you mentioned <laughs> life in general is going to be pretty hard, if you're, if you struggle to connect with people and to be able to effectively communicate with people. Um, I think a lot of the times when we speak about communication and that ability to connect, we think about it externally, like from salesperson to prospect, uh, in your journey, in your career, how important has it been for you to be able to kind of deploy those same skills of clearly communicating, conveying an idea, coming to an agree, you know, a mutual agreement uh, when it comes to internal relationships, like coworkers, managers, have, have you seen uh, as your ability and skill kind of raises and gets higher on your ability to have those kind of sales conversations, has that helped you internally with, with your communications? Yeah. So the first inside sales job, I did not have very good interpersonal skills with coworkers. At least I think so. Maybe they weren't horrible, but I don't really know. Um, at Ledgeview, it seemed to make more sense. It felt like we were working more collaboratively. It wasn't like we were alone in the process. And that's really transferred over to Directive. I've been very forthcoming when I needed information. I've always made sure to clarify things. Even working remote, you can still Zoom like anytime. So if there's something you don't understand or there's something you just want to walk through again, both Sarah, Kyle, and Hannah have all been there to walk me through it again so mm. far. Yeah, and I mean, what, 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 what a competitive advantage like for you, right? Because when salespeople are kind of sitting in the corner, like struggling and beating their heads against a wall and, and not talking about it because they don't want to come off as an idiot or seem uh, stupid or whatever they might think the perception might be if they raise their hand, and, and, and say that I need some help, you know, I mean, it really just stifles your growth and stifles your ability to be, you know, be a valuable con contributing member to your team. Uh, and I remember, you know, it was interesting. I went through first half of my sales career. I, I never even thought about the way that I was interacting with my coworkers and never realized that that would influence my ability to get promoted and, and move up in a company. If I'm seen as somebody who's, you know, generally likable, a decent person, relatively friendly, you know? Um, and man, when I had that realization and turned that on, um, I've found that that's probably the biggest component to my career growth is my ability to communicate what I'm doing, communicate what I'm seeing, talk to my coworkers, talk to my bosses and executives in a way that allows them to see how passionate I am about what I'm doing 
and that I'm out there doing good work, right? I had a had a coworker um, at, at one of my more recent jobs, and you know he struggled with this too, right? He was doing fantastic work, like really just busting his butt, but he'd stay in the room all day, and when our manager came around and wanted to talk to him about it. It was hard for him to get out of that mode of just doing, 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 and effectively communicate. Well, hey, I've made 500 dials in the last four days, and I've talked to this many people, and this is what I'm doing. It was more so like, yeah, I'm just working, just working real hard, you know, and just got to keep going, right? Um, and it was interesting. I had a conversation with the CEO of that company, and he's like, well, you know, and this is literally what he said. And I told this to my coworker to kind of let him know the importance of it. It's like, the CEO was like, well, the perception is, is that you're doing more than your coworker. And you're like more successful. And I was like, well, let me just stop you right there. Because I know that I'm actually not doing as well metrics wise as he is, right? He said, like, let's look at the numbers, right? He set more meetings. He's got more pipeline generated. But the perception is that I'm doing better only because I'm better at communicating what I'm doing, right? And being an advocate for myself, whether that means asking for help or, or hey, like, uh, just booked a meeting with match.com. <laughs> you know, I mean, like, nobody's gonna, nobody's gonna celebrate it unless I celebrate it first. So um, you, you, you mentioned something very important that I wanted to touch on being a remote SDR, how critical is it that you, uh, well, let me ask this in a better way. How are you staying connected to your team as Slack. a remote SDR? Slack? Slack's been really good. Zoom has been really good. It honestly hasn't, like, it's been the same as working with people in person. It's just we're doing it through Zoom or Slack. So it's just staying focused and not letting Slack or Zoom become too much of a distraction, which can happen sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that's everything in moderation, right? I mean, everything, uh, you can go overboard on anything. Um, and just such an important message, right? So if I think a lot of people maybe have a perception that especially in an SDR role or a sales role that being remote somehow makes it harder. After being remote, fully remote for about nine months now, I'd say that it makes it a little easier, right? Because I'm not, if I, it, it, you know, specifically just one example would be cold calling, right? So when you're in an office setting, especially in your first couple of weeks, like you're sitting with everybody, and you got to make those damn cold calls in front of everybody. And you know, you're kind of figuring out your style and you know, you're kind of um, trying to figure this thing out. And I found when I joined the sales developers, that first two weeks of me being able to just kind of be alone, figure it out, ask for help on Slack and get on a zoom when I needed, but that freedom of like, all right, well, I'm, I'm in a, I'm in a comfortable spot and I can kind of do this work that I maybe had to go into like an isolation phone room for before, right? To, to uh, A, avoid being embarrassed straight up and B, you know, to have that level of focus, right? Where you can kind of dial in. Um, and, and I think that, you know, for anybody considering 
or maybe thinking that they wouldn't enjoy a remote role for those reasons, it's great to hear that that really hasn't been a factor for you. Um, and as we get towards the end of the, the episode here, I want to make sure that I ask you for an actionable sales tip that folks can use once they get done listening to the podcast. All right. So my sales tip is fall in love with the process, not the numbers. Because if you do the process well, the numbers will take care of themselves. We become so fixated on the end results sometime, like hitting our metrics, that we forget to just enjoy the conversations and personalize that experience for each potential client or customer. Yeah, I mean, I think that is coming from somebody who's doing the work, probably some of the most sound advice because the results are going to ebb and flow. It's just the nature of this game we're playing. And, I, and I've always been a fan of thinking about like my circle of influence, right? What can I actually influence? What can I actually pull a lever on that's going to make a difference in my performance or my day? And falling in love with the process is probably one of the biggest levers you can pull, right? Because if you can commit to doing the work on a consistent basis, you can kind of take solace in that instead of, you know, instead of waking up and saying, oh my God, I need to get five meetings. I need to do, I have this many follow-ups. I need to get this many proposals or whatever. It's like, no, nah, I'm going to do what I know I need to do. I'm going to follow my process and I'm going to stick to it and, and have faith that over time, that snowball will start rolling and get bigger and bigger and bigger. I love that, man. Um, and as always, I need to ask the same question that I ask everybody that comes on the Lunch Break podcast. Ryan, what is your favorite place to eat lunch? It's at home because I work at home, so I eat at home. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that remote life. I think, <laughs> um, I think, you know, as we go into the new decade, that might be the most common answer that I'm given as more and more people start working remote. So fair enough. Eating at home, is there a favorite dish? Is there a favorite lunchtime thing that you're making for yourself at the crib? Been very big on banana sandwiches lately. Okay, so banana sandwiches. Okay, so yeah, that was my next question. Banana sandwiches and peanut butter or just banana? Stop peanut butter. Stop the presses. <laughs> that, might, that might have to end up in the top five answers of all time because in the middle of a tough day prospecting, I can't really think of anything that would put me in a better mood than a damn banana and chocolate peanut butter sandwich, man. You've got this thing figured out. I love it, man. So Ryan, um, really, really excited and, and grateful for you coming on. I know this has been a long time coming. We've, we've been talking about it and, and I'm glad that we finally made this happen. Uh, as we wrap up the podcast here, for anybody that hasn't already heard of your, you know, seeing your content on LinkedIn, connected with you. How can folks get in touch with you? Yeah, um, LinkedIn's the best place. It's Ryan, R-Y-A-N, and then the last name is Zadrazil, Z-A-D-R-A-Z-I-L. Connect with me. Love to chat. Love to give you any advice if I can help with anything. And that's the truth, right? I mean, Ryan is somebody who, you know, and it's interesting, I think, when you start seeing and start benefiting from being a part of the community like you have, right, the ability to find a new job, move yourself into a position that, that's most ideal for you, I think that um, 
that that genuine feeling of wanting to help others do the same is very real right and and i think that's where you find people like seth that that is constantly hooking the right people up with the people that are looking for jobs and and um you know i've seen you do the same man so i think uh you're doing a fantastic job and and again thank you so much for joining me for episode 52 of the lunch break podcast man i appreciate it thanks for having me Fantastic. So with that, I'm going to wrap up this episode and I will talk to you guys very soon.